you love that name? Hey, the name above every name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hey, Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was born on December the 13th of 1835. He was a reserved and quiet man. Uh, he was a Sunday school teacher and preacher and wasn't anything really that impressive about him except that maybe he stood six feet, eight inches tall and weighed over 300 pounds. The children in his, in his classes and the children and the teenagers in the church, they loved Philip Brooks. He just had a way of connecting with them and, and sharing with them the truths of who God was and made a difference in their lives. He soon was promoted around those churches in the Philadelphia and, and Boston area and became the, the bishop in that region. In 1865, Philip Brooks was invited to tour the Holy Land. And, and he made the trip over there and, 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 and he was invited to, to lead out and play a part of a Christmas celebration at the Church of the Nativity. And as he made his way on horseback from Jerusalem down to the city of David, some six miles, he, he never forgets what he experienced in those fields and the pastures as he made his way through the area, just possibly, probably, where those shepherds were the night that a star lit up the night sky and told them about a birth in a city called Bethlehem. Philip Brooks would say that he was so taken by, by that experience, not to say that the celebration at the Church of the Nativity, which was built over the supposed site of where the birth of Jesus took place, but several years later, in, in order to prepare for a Christmas time celebration at one of his churches, he, he took out pen and paper and he began to write down what he remembered on that night as he made his way from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. And he penned some words and, and he asked the church organist that night if, if he could put some music to the lyrics that he had written. And in 1868, a, a carol that was first sung there that we're going to sing today and still sings it still rings loudly this time of the year. That carol was sung for the very first time by the children's choir in Philip Brooks's church. Over 150 years now, we've been singing the words to, to this song that describe a personal and incredible and moving experience that Philip Brooks experienced that night. The song is entitled, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Yeah. 
Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. You may clap your hands and uh, as you take your seats this morning. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Have you been hearing that over the last few days? I hope so. And we hope that you are enjoying the season that is Christmas. There is nothing like this time of the year. It is, to me, my favorite time of the year. It is, to me, the most wonderful time of the year. I love everything about it. I really do. You can tell I love everything about it. Amen. We started the partying this week uh, and uh, it's been an absolutely incredible time. But this is a season of giving and I think that that's probably what resonates with me the most. It just seems like to me that People are looking for opportunities. They're looking for ways to, to give in, in ways that the other 11 months they don't normally look for, you know, besides a birthday celebration, maybe for someone we love. But I just love the spirit of mankind helping one another. I love this spirit of giving during this time of the year. And, 
And, and really, that's what Christmas is all about. We, God gave us his very self, did he not? Did Pastor Mark Sarbalescu not preach a good sermon last week and stepping up and knocking it out of the park? We looked at, oh, oh come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and how the people were longing for a deliverer, someone to set them free from a yoke of slavery and bondage. And Emmanuel, which means God with us, he came. It's called the Advent season. That means an anticipation, an expectation of someone's arrival. And God himself came. See, giving, God understands giving because he gave us his very self. He gave us his presence, his son, Jesus. The spirit of giving. I love, I love this this time of the year. And there's a word that we oftentimes use when it, when it comes to, to Christmas and, and giving, and it's, you're going to see it in lights and it's this word joy, right? Joy. And when I, we sing joy to the world because the song says, because, well, the Lord has come, right? He's Emmanuel. And we have reason to celebrate today. That's why we clap and sing and, and then we sing and dance and there's, just joy knowing that Jesus Christ has come. God gave us a very, very special gift. And I was asking myself this week, I said, you know, I, I, I know that when, when I give gifts to people, you know, and it brings me great joy. And, and I like when I receive gifts too. Come on, I'm not going to lie. As a, as a 33-year-old man, I still love to receive gifts, you know. So what do you, don't know what you're laughing at, but, um, but I just love when people think about me or, or want to give something just to bless. It's just fun. Is it not? But I was thinking about what, what, what brings God joy? I mean, I'm going to receive a gift and I may give a gift and that makes me feel good and what, but, but what brings God joy during this season of giving? And, and, and I was directed to a story that, 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 that I was reminded of several weeks back, and I alluded to it briefly, but, but, but I think that, that God loves it whenever we are generous people. When, whenever there's this spirit of generosity, and when there's sincerity in our giving, I think that brings God great joy. The story I was reminded of is in Luke chapter 21, verses one through four. It says, Jesus was in the temple and he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Well, no pressure there. Jesus watching to see who brings gifts to the collection box, right? Wow. It says, but there was a poor widow that came by and she dropped in two small coins. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them, for they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. Wow. Jesus said there were rich people there bringing gifts, but then there was a poor widow there. He says, as poor as she was, gave everything she could. And, and, and she gave it with this, I believe, this spirit of sincerity. She gave it all. She wasn't trying to hold it back. 
She, she, she had needs. And, and listen, I don't know about you, but so many of us, are we not? We're, we're, we're trying to make sure that we show our affection and love and how much we're grateful for people in our lives. And, but our budgets are limited, are they not? Wow. But yet we still want to bless people. We still want to show just a token of, of our gratitude and love for them. And, and I love how this widow lady, despite what her needs were, she just gave out of a spirit of sincerity. And she was generous with everything she had. Man, what do you give to Jesus? What do you give someone who's, who's given us everything? He's given us his very best. Here's what I do know. Just as we're reminded in Luke chapter 21, Jesus saw what this poor widow gave. And can I just share with you as well? He sees you in your giving as well. And he clearly knows, just as he knew in Luke chapter 21, what this poor widow's needs were. He's Jesus. He knows everything, right? But he also knows what your needs are as well. And I can't help but think that of all the people that gave gifts that day in the temple, well, I do know that it was this poor widow who gave sincerely that stands out the most in this story to Jesus. I just want to encourage you during this season of giving to, to remember Jesus and the one who's given us everything we have. He's given us his very best. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He came and he ultimately gave us, well, he gave us his life, did he not? And how do you give back to one who's, who's, who's given everything? I just pray that over the next few weeks, you would begin to listen and let God speak to you maybe and show you how you can give back to him and bless him and bring joy to him through your generosity and your sincerity. We don't, we don't pass things around here at 1910 and nor are we going to shove things in front of your face and hold it there till, till you give. But I am simply praying that there would be a spirit of generosity for us. You know, his birthday's coming up, right? Y'all know that Christmas is about Jesus and his birthday. And I don't know about you, but at my birthday celebrations, I love it when people show up with gifts. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here said, Hey, listen, God, don't bring me any gifts. No, we want stuff, right? Or we like to receive stuff. And I'm just praying that, that you would allow God to speak to you and you would ask him, hey, God, what can I bring to you this Christmas? How can I be generous and sincere? You've been good. Listen, I know for a lot of us this year, there have been some, some highs and there have been some lows. For some of us, there have been incredible times, mountaintop celebrations, Right? But for a lot of us also, there have been some valleys and, and we wonder how are we going to make it? The reality is we're still here today, right? And God is with us. And there's one thing I want you to know about our God that we worship here at 1910 today. Here's a promise. He says, I will never leave you. Sometimes we leave him though, don't we? But the promise that he has for us is, hey, I'm never going to leave you. So if you find yourself in a rough spot right now, hang on to that promise. 
The people who were walking in darkness, Isaiah said, they will see a great light. O come, O come, Emmanuel. He came and he's with us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Your presence means the world to us. God, your presence, even when, 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 when we can't see through the fog or, or when the clouds have surrounded us and, and we've, we wonder how we're going to make ends meet or we wonder where our next need is going to be met, Lord, we can hang on to this promise that you will never leave us. And Father, I'm thankful for the reminder today of, of a poor widow who didn't have much but she gave it all because she trusted in you, Yahweh. She knew that you would provide and take care of her as she gave generously, as she gave sincerely. And God, I pray that we would remember that today. This world tells us to hold on and cling to and save our stuff, but yet, God, you say, hey, listen, freely give, and freely receive. God, thank you for the reminder that you meet our needs. And Lord, I pray that somehow this Christmas we would seek you and Lord, that our heart's desire would be to bring you joy in our giving. It's the season of giving. And may we not forget the one who's given us everything. It's in his holy name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I do pray that this is a sweet season for you and your family. And that you would experience the peace and the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Wow. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. You guys remember that song, right? I mean, you've... You've heard that before. For some of us, maybe we don't sing it so often. But, but today, I want us to unpack what that song means and what it's all about and the significance of it. In fact, I think that we have to start and we just need to understand something right now that, that, that there, during biblical times, there was nothing significant, really, about Bethlehem. But Bethlehem, you, you, if you were to Google Bethlehem back in the day, Verbo would not say this is a desired destination for you and yours to go you know, relax and celebrate. It was, it, was, it was not even a blip on the map. In fact, the prophet Micah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, would write these words about Bethlehem. He would say in chapter 5, verse 2, but you... O Bethlehem Ephrath, you're only a small village among all the people of Judah. You're a small village. That's all you are amongst all the other clans of all the other people. You are, well, you're the runt. You're small. There's nothing about you that that makes you stand out, except what he goes on to say. But yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in a distant past will come from you, 
on my behalf. Wow. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Micah the prophet is speaking to this little town of Bethlehem and saying, there's not much about you. There's nothing sexy about you. You're six miles away from Jerusalem. Now that's where it's happening. That's where people want to be. That is where the best of the best is. That is where you have more than enough. But you, oh little town of Bethlehem, there's not much right now. But yet it is through you that this ruler of Israel will come from. Now, we know some other things about Bethlehem besides the birth of Jesus. We know that Bethlehem is where Ruth met Boaz and they were married there. You remember that story, the Redeemer kinsman? And I think that's important in this story of Bethlehem as well. We know that, that Bethlehem was the hometown of David. That's where he grew up. In fact, it was in those fields outside of the city that, that David as a shepherd boy would, would tend to the sheep and watch over them, right? But what really makes Bethlehem Bethlehem and what God will always remember about Bethlehem was that this was the place, this little city, this little town was the very place in which Jesus would be born, where God would make his entrance into our world. But make no mistake about it, there's nothing big or fancy about it. There's nothing elaborate about it. In fact, I love that, 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 that God uses um, uh, Herod to, to declare a census that people had to actually travel back. In fact, if, we, if you know anything about the Christmas story, that's the reason that Joseph and Mary find themselves in Bethlehem. You see, Joseph, that was his ancestral town. And during the census declared, everyone had to go back to their birthplace to pay their taxes. Wow, isn't that a fun experience? Don't you love that day in April whenever we all just get to be bludgeoned right? But that's what made them travel some 80 miles from Nazareth. Nazareth, keep in mind that place. Later in scripture, the religious people say, can anything good ever come from Nazareth? Well, we know that through an unesteemed little girl named Mary, that Jesus would be born, right? They made their travel some 80 miles on donkey and foot, and they go back to Bethlehem so that they can do their civic duty to pay taxes. I love how God is able to take things that maybe man means for harm or, 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 or ugly and redeems them and makes them, can bring something beautiful out of it. That might be a word for somebody here today. He brings beauty from ashes. And what the world seems to, to, to say is impossible. Hey, what we, we oftentimes say this, what we see as setbacks are set ups, right? They're set ups for God to do something absolutely incredible. But it's because of this census and paying of taxes that Mary and Joseph find themselves back in Joseph's hometown, this little village, six miles south of Jerusalem. Can I just encourage us with something here today? Never confuse size with significance. 
You see, some of us may think I'm not worth anything. I don't have much to offer. I didn't graduate from, oh, by the way, Philip Brooks graduated from Harvard at the age of 19. I didn't graduate from Harvard. I don't know if that's a good thing these days to graduate from Harvard, is it? But, or Penn or anything else, I don't know. But I'm just saying. Um, but there was nothing significant about it. Again, this was not a vacation destination. This wasn't a place of the, of the rich and famous. But yet this was the very place. And for some of us, we may feel that we don't have much to offer. Or somebody has written us off. Or somebody has spoken words over us like this. You'll never amount to much or anything. You're too slow. You're not educated enough. You grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Who determines that? You know, I don't think God does. And I just know that it's in this small, what seemed to the rest of the world, insignificant city. Oh, this is the very place that God said, watch this. Come on, there might be some watch this type of people listening here today. Don't you discount or discredit or give up on God because scripture says that with God, all things are possible. Amen. Come on, somebody. Well, and, and, and I love the thing about God is that he's, he's able to think things, to take things that seem so lowly or insignificant and use them to shame things that are high and lofty. Look what it says in the book of first Corinthians chapter one, verse 27 says this. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Now, for those of you that have read God's word, do you guys read the Bible by chance? I, I hope you do, because if you feel like you're not worth much or you feel lowly, let me just remind you that all throughout scripture, that it's oftentimes the lowly or the insignificant that God chooses to do his greatest work through. I, I, I think of three Hebrew teenage young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their real names. I'm telling you, none of you would have ever thought to name your kid what their real names were. But yet it was those three Hebrew teenage boys that stood up to Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, high and lofty, lives being threatened, but they said, we will not bow because we believe that our God is greater. Our friend Chris Tomlin would go on to write a song about that. Our God is greater, right? He is. And God takes those things. He takes widows and uses them to tell one of the greatest stories, right? I just mentioned Ruth and Boaz, right? So many incredible truths and stories there that God using lowly things. So today, if you're listening, or maybe those of you that are watching us online today, by the way, we're honored that you would, would, would carve out some time in your schedule to join us, but maybe you feel like you don't have much to offer. Bethlehem did not, but yet that was the very place in which the one that the prophets spoke of it would be this little town in which God would make his entrance into our world. Are you with me today? Now, there's some significant things 
about Bethlehem. First of all, I don't know if you understand and know what your name means. And some of us know what our names mean, and there might be some significance there. Jason means divine healer, and, and I don't know necessarily what that means per se, but, I can, but, but Bethlehem had significance with its name. You see, Bethlehem means house of bread. And, 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 and bread's a big deal. Keep that in mind in Israel's history, is it not? We know that wandering through the wilderness as Moses is trying to lead this cantankerous group of people, right? That they get hungry and it was bread that God provided. Bread was a staple in their culture. They ate it daily and they ate lots of it. I know in our day and time, we're told to lay off the carbs. But I'm tell- is there nothing better than a freshly baked loaf of bread? Somebody did your pastor a disservice this week when they showed up at my house with a loaf of freshly baked bread. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you, it was delicious. But when you throw some butter on that, you know, hurt me right now, somebody, right? Bread was a big deal to them. It meant life. We, 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 we know that bread also was, was significant to them because it was a part of, of temple worship and it played a significant role as they gathered together and worshiped the Lord. We, we take bread in this house through something called communion and it reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's with that, you know, that Jesus made several statements throughout his lifetime that ruffled the religious feathers and sometimes got him in trouble. One such statement about bread in John chapter six, when he says this, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So check this out. Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. And just as bread met the physical needs of people, I'm telling you, if you're listening here today, I pray that you would taste and see that the Lord is good because Jesus can meet the spiritual needs in your life. If you will just eat, if you will just, as he says, drink from his well, you will never hunger nor thirst again. Come on, somebody. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. So there's something about a name. Come on, y'all. Do y'all know that God does? God knows what he's up to. God knows what he's doing when he chooses Bethlehem, the house of bread for the birthplace of the living bread the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. We know that Bethlehem, nothing major is significant. In fact, if there was a major industry back in this time of the birth of Christ, we we, we know that shepherding was, was a big deal around Bethlehem. Bethlehem surrounded by pastures and fields. And in fact, this is where, where David probably raised his sheep. And something significant about this region of, 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 of pastures and these sheep raising them, these were the sheep that were often used in the worship, the sacrifices offered during the worship time. You remember back before Jesus that the people would bring a, a, an unblemished lamb 
oftentimes to be sacrificed. At least once a year, they would do this. And the shedding of that blood on the altar would be symbolic of, of their sins being forgiven as that animal was slain. But it was around Bethlehem in these fields that, that, that David would raise these sheep that would oftentimes be offered as the sacrificial lambs in the holy city. It was also these, these fields in which the shepherds that we read about in Luke chapter two that, that were abiding in the fields at night, it would be these fields around this insignificant, no name, off the map place called Bethlehem. Oh no, God knows what he's doing. Does he not? You see, John would make a declaration about Jesus in the book of, of John chapter one. He would say, I see the lamb of God. Look at him. Jesus is coming and he, John said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the lamb born in Bethlehem. It's interesting if several years ago, uh, Pastor Angie and I had an opportunity to, to be in, in Israel and, and we were outside of Bethlehem. We didn't go into Bethlehem but we were outside a place at one of these palaces that Herod built. Herod would build palaces all around just to, because he just had lots of money and, and I guess he didn't, he didn't understand missions and kingdom advancement. He wanted to just build things that made his name stand out and great, right? I'm telling you, the greatest in God's kingdom are people that give it away for his name, not their name, amen? And so... Um, but, but Herod would be, and we're standing a few years ago at one of these places called the Herodian. Herod, basically, there were two mountains outside and Herod basically chopped off. It literally looks like somebody decapitated a mountain and he used that to build this Herodian, his palace there. And he built that palace. He built it for spa days and relaxation and things that, well, you shouldn't do until you're married. But he also built it really for the place for him to go and die and be buried, okay? But it's outside, and that's really what, if anybody knew Bethlehem, they knew it as, uh, as a, it stood in the shadows of one of these mighty palaces of Herod. We're standing at the Herodian a few years ago on a tour, and I'm with a group of pastors, and, and I love being with pastors, but because I, I grow and I learn, but, but sometimes I just, man, I've just had, had, I've just had enough and I just got to get some fresh air. You know what I'm saying? So I find myself this day at the Herodian standing on this mountain, looking down in the valley, seeing all these pastures and off in the distance, I think I have a picture of it, is the city of Bethlehem. Um, that way back in the distance there in the top corner, that'd be Bethlehem today. It was not that fancy and elaborate and bougie back in the day of Jesus, but you kind of get a picture. But I'm standing on a mountain looking down at all this area around me. And, 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 and I notice in the next photo, I notice a group of, of sheep and, and shepherds. And, 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 and I noticed you can't really see them because they're blending, but you see the sheep there. And, and I noticed a dad and he's, it looks like he's got two boys. These are Bedouin shepherds, the same shepherds that would have been present in Luke two, these same people that, Hey, no mom or dad said, I just hope my boy grows up to be a shepherd. No, it was probably the lowliest job you could ever have. 
except maybe the house servant to wash people's feet. But, but, but I saw these Bedouin shepherds that day in the midst of this tour with pastors. I just needed a break, you know? So, so I do what, what a, a, a pastor ought to do, acting holy and reverent. I begin to wave at these shepherds to see if they could see me. We're way up high. You know, I've kind of isolated myself from the rest of the crowd. Uh, my wife is probably going, where is he, you know? Where, where is he at now, right? Jesus' parents thought that about him one day too because they lost him in the temple, right? But where is he right now? And so I, I just wondered, man, there are long ways. I wonder if they can see me. I wonder if they can see Shrek up here on this mountain in Her, the Herodian. And so I begin to wave. Well, one of these little boys begins to wave back. And so I get cute and fancy and act like a obnoxious American. And I start to do different signs and signals like I'm landing a plane, you know, off an aircraft here. And this little boy begins to mimic and do exactly what I do. And so I do something that, that this is really smart in, 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 you know, um, a territory where, where maybe you might not be welcomed and, and favored. I simply do this. I start waving for him to come join me come join these American pastors up here, little Bedouin shepherd boy. And he comes up, look at this. He walks all the way up this hill and he comes up to meet me. And, and I mean, it was a trek. He left his dad, left his brother, left the sheep, which is probably a no, no in Bedouin shepherding one-on-one, but he makes his way up there and I get to place my hand out and a Bedouin shepherd boy an opportunity that not many of us will probably ever have. And the significance of that moment hit me that this is where David raised sheep and David was a young boy. He was the youngest of Jesse's sons and, 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 and not was he just taking care of, of his family, but, but they were also raising these sheep, these lambs that would be offered as a sacrifice for, for people's sins. And it's outside of Bethlehem where Jesus, as John declares, and as many of you know, the Lamb of God would make his entrance into our world. And all of that was the perfect storm. I might need to write a song about that, that 150 years from now, churches may be singing, right? Hopefully we're going to be in heaven by then. Amen. I'm going to be there. Are you? I hope so. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, right? But in that moment, it hit me that Bethlehem, although in man's eyes and in an unbelieving world's eyes was nothing significant. Micah wrote these words 700 years ago, Bethlehem, the house of bread. No one really understood it. When Jesus shows up and says, hey, I am the bread of life, it might have resonated with a few more. But when I think about the declaration of John, when he says, there he is, the Lamb of God, who will take away our sins. You see, Bethlehem is really a big deal, is it not? It's not just an old little town of Bethlehem, how still we just see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. No, Philip Brooks was correct that in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And the hopes and the fears of all those years, ah, they're met in thee tonight.
You see, because Jesus came. Jesus came. He didn't come with fanfare, pop, circumstance, no paparazzi. He didn't come in the, 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 the Ritz-Carlton of Bethlehem. But yet he came. Lowly, meek, humbly. God came to us. We sing about Bethlehem today because of Jesus, do we not? We sing about Bethlehem because the hope for those that have walked in darkness has now come and this was his birthplace. What does that have to do with us today? Well, I've already hit it a little bit for some of you because some of you feel like you're insignificant. You may feel like Bethlehem, like you're just obscure. No one notices. No one cares. You don't, you don't have anything to really offer. But friends, can I tell you something? You are a prime candidate for God to step into your life to do something awesome. In fact, can I just remind you of something? You have the potential to be used by God to do something big. You do. Oh, but you know, I, I come from this background or I have this history. I have a record or I've, I, I didn't graduate tops of or I've never gotten an award. I, I just, I'm telling you, you have the potential for God to do something big through your life. Jesus put Bethlehem on the map. It is one of the number one tourist destinations in all of Israel right now. You know why? Because of Jesus. And can I just tell you what's going to make your life significant? And can I share with you what's going to put you on the map, you might say? It's this same Jesus that made his entrance 2,000 years ago. You know, he made his entrance 2,000 years ago, but I want you to know that he's also going to come back and make another entrance. Y'all know that Jesus is coming back, right? And I know that it looks like everything's headed to hell in a handbasket. I know that. But make no mistake about it. And it might get bleaker and dimmer and darker and more difficult. But if you were to read in the last book of the Bible, not the maps of Paul's missionary journeys, but the book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 19, just camp out in that this week because you're going to read God's word because God's word will transform you. But make no mistake about it. The heavens will open up again, John writes. And the Lord's going to come back. And as you read Revelation chapter 19, check this out. He's not going to come back in just a little humble, meek, unnoticeable way. He's not going to come back as a little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Oh no, he's going to come back dressed in white with maybe drops of blood dripping because he's the lamb that was slain and he's going to come back on a white horse 
and he's gonna have legions of army of angels dressed in white, swords drawn, ready to kick and take notice. And he will reign and rule and he will be the victor. So he will come back one day. So knowing that this is how he made his entrance and knowing what John says about his return, I just want to ask you a question. Do you know him? And if you don't, I have three words for you this Christmas that will change your life radically. Just as Bethlehem was changed when Jesus entered its city. Friends, today, accept Jesus today. And he will radically transform and change your life. Bethlehem became Bethlehem because of Jesus. And you will become the real you, the true you, the you where you were created to be when you too let Jesus in. Have you said yes to him? Have you said yes to the bread of life? Have you said yes to the Lamb of God? Have you said yes to this Jesus born of the Virgin Mary in the house of bread who would take away the sins that you have? My friend, if there is a gift for you to receive this Christmas, it's Jesus. Accept him today. What must I do to be saved? Scripture says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. I open my mouth and I say, Jesus You are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And would you come in and forgive me my sins and make me yours today? That's it. There's no major credit card required. You don't have to have this memorized. You you don't even have to be living this out. In fact, I know a lot of people that have asked Jesus in their lives that still aren't living this out. That's a different sermon for another time, probably in January, okay? (laughs) That's all you need to know is that Jesus died for you, my friend, and you need him in your life to forgive you of your sins. And can I just tell you what he does? Like Bethlehem, he makes us new. Bethlehem was never the same after the shepherds came and found the Christ child and left there proclaiming his birth. It was never the same. Nazareth, never the same. After they found out that the Messiah, that was his hometown, never the same. And I'm telling you, if you'll let Jesus into your life today, you'll never be the same. Does anybody in this room know what I'm talking about? You know the difference that Jesus can make in someone's life. If you don't know him today, I pray that you would accept him 
as Lord and Savior of your life. So maybe, just maybe, this year, as we sing this song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, maybe it might just hit you different. Maybe it just might hit you different. God is in the business of taking things low and obscure and unnoticeable and elevating them and making something beautiful out of it. He wants to do that in your life. Would you stand with me today? And Hey, I know I've got some of my ministry team members that will come and stand down front today. Listen, our team stands down front at the end of every gathering. And there's, there's multiple reasons we stand down here today. We, we stand down here today because we want you to know that we care about what you're going through in life. There's nothing special, fancy about these people. They are not miracle workers, but they simply represent someone that is a miracle worker and someone that we here at 1910 believe can can step into any situation and turn it for good. Amen? And so today, our team's going to stand down front and and they're just going to be available if you'd like to have a word of prayer today. Maybe you need a word of encouragement. Maybe you're going through a rough spot right now and you just need somebody that will just come alongside and, and understand a little bit. Maybe today you're going through a tough time of maybe this season is hard and brings up some memories. Maybe there's some sort of a need in your life and you just would love for someone just to offer a word of encouragement or counsel. That's why they're here. Or maybe just maybe you're here today And you would say, you know, today's the day that I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life. Lisa, would that be okay? If somebody were to come to you to say, hey, Lisa, would you tell me what it means to ask Jesus into my heart? Lisa would be glad to share that with you today. And so today I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss us. And as people are leaving to go pick their kids up. And by the way, if you dropped a kid off, please pick them up today. Okay. This is not a lock-in. This is not... We're going to keep them. No, you need to get your children. Maybe you're going to high five somebody, shake a hand. If you're a guest here today, I I would love to meet you in the garage across the hallway and just say hi. We want to encourage you to take one of these little invite cards and put it on your refrigerator somewhere to remind you of of us blowing it out on Christmas Eve right on Bernie's Main Plaza. Maybe invite somebody to come and join you that night. It's going to be a special night at Christmas in the city. But listen, I'm going to pray and dismiss us and you do what you need to do. But if you're here today and need Jesus, or if you're here today and need a word of encouragement, do not run out. Come forward. And for those of you that are watching us online, if we can pray over any need in your life, would you just simply type a message right now and send it to us and we'll get it. And these same people that are down front, We'll be praying over your situation as well. And I want you to know we're saving you a seat. We're going to be here the same time next Sunday. And we'd love to have you in person with us. God, I want to thank you for the reminder today of a little town called Bethlehem. A little town that in Israel's history, it didn't mean a whole lot. But then Jesus shows up and forever changes its destiny. And Lord, I pray that we would remember that that's still what you do today. When you show up, 
You change things. When you show up, our lives will never be the same. Jesus, thank you for that little town called Bethlehem. The house of bread, where the bread of life chose to make its entrance into the world. The Lamb of God, who would take away our sins, making his entrance in Bethlehem. As we leave this place, may the joy that Jesus gives us shine through us. And may it be infectious to others that we come in contact with. And may we be quick to give a reason for the name is Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thank you.